I tell you, anybody ought to be able to preach after you've got a, uh, somebody who introduces you like that. Can I have an amen? amen? How many of you enjoyed the series that Pastor Alex did? I think it was one of the most amazing that we have ever had before. Uh, I think that we saw some lives touched and impacted in a very powerful way. And uh, I just want to say thank you, Pastor Alex, for obeying the word of the Lord and, and bringing a burden that the, the culture so desperately needs. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are on a mission. We have a very specific purpose, and that is to be a carrier, to be contagious with the glory of God. And that glory is, is not just feel-good fuzz. It's not just a great feeling. It is that, but it's so much more than that. And it's not just truth that is dry. It is truth, but it's truth that is ignited with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, some of you may, may be wondering, well, why are you going to do a series on the Apostles' Creed? I, I want to tell you, I want to answer that question very quickly, and that is just to show you from Scripture how important it is for us to stay connected. Everybody say, stay connected. If you would open your Bibles or your notes, you should have a copy there. And by the way, uh, not, not to be singing his praises, but listen, Pastor Alex does that. The graphics here in the house are just top-notch. I would put them up alongside any church that is literally 20 times our size because the man has got the ability in the eye, and I just so, was so pleased when he sent that. Give him a hand. Come on. I'm excited about that. So this morning, if you would look with me, please, to the text found in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Going to get three, four verses real quickly, five, six, seven, and eight. And I know you just stood in worship, but I'd like for you to stand with me one more time, if you would please. And let's say this together. Here we go. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning for a word of prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the privilege to stand in this place. Lord, I do so today fully in the awareness that it is only by your grace. Lord, I am nothing apart from you. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Move in the hearts of listeners this morning. Those who know you and profess to walk with you. Lord, there may be some here this morning today that are in a desperate place in their lives and they're searching to see if the claims of Christianity are real and true. God, I thank you today that you make them to know that they're welcome in this place. Lord, that it's, it's good to investigate, it's good to seek. And Lord, I thank you that you draw us today by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. You speak in this place, you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, so that we might understand and perceive what you have called us to do and be. Lord, your greatness and your kingdom and your power and your glory, it is all unto that end that we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated together this morning. In the presence of the Lord. This is a powerful passage in the Gospel of John, one of my favorites. Jesus obviously is spending some special time with the disciples just prior to his crucifixion. John is a unique gospel. 
especially from chapter 12 on through the end. All of that literally takes place in a 24-hour period. The, the disciples are together with Jesus. He's washing their feet in John 13. He's giving them some principles about the, the comforter who is coming. He said, it's, it's expedient. It's really better for you that I go away because if I don't go, then the comforter can't come. And because I go away, I'm sending one. I will not leave you as orphans. In chapter 14, 15, he says, it's important to stay connected. Everybody say, stay connected. This whole vine branch analogy is all about connection in relationships. You have that in your notes there if you would fill in that blank. This whole vine branch analogy is about connection in relationships. The Bible is filled with these ideas of unity and diversity. It's filled with the idea of one unity and many diversity. There is one vine, but there are many branches. There is one body, but there are many members. In the Old Testament, there is one holy covenant nation, but yet there are many tribes, 12 to be exact. There is, the Bible says in Psalm 46, there is a river, singular, whose streams, plural, make glad the city of God. So there is this principle of the one and the many, one vine, many branches, one body, many members, one nation, many tribes, one river, many streams. Now the problem that we have many times is that when one of the streams start to think that it's the river, and I'm thankful that the body of Christ has a Baptist stream and a Pentecostal stream and a Presbyterian stream. And we could go on and name the multitudes of various streams that are tributaries that empty into the great river of God that makes glad the city. I mean, you know, the city's a people. Jesus said, you are a city set on a hill which cannot be hid. And the city is the people of God. We started in the garden in the opening of the book of Genesis, and it's going to culminate in a city that is filled with the glory, that, that requires no electricity, because the Lamb of God is the light, and there shall be no night. And so we're moving, we're marching to Zion, we're marching to a culmination from generation in Genesis to degeneration in the sin and the fall to regeneration at the cross of Calvary, where God now is in the process of making everything new. He's not throwing anything away to make new things, but he is making everything new. He's taking the junk of your life and he's breathing by the Holy Spirit onto it. And he's saying, I can take your mess and if you'll just hang with me, I can turn your mess into a message. And if you'll not quit and give up and leave the classroom in the middle of your test, your test can become a testimony if you will just stay with it. The vine and the branch analogy is all about connection. We are connected to something that is greater than us. It's out of that vine that we receive our source, our strength. The vine is our origin. This vine is Jesus Christ himself. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. There's a principle that I want us to grab this morning that is the bottom line of these Next four messages, we've, our church is growing, we've got new people that are coming, people that have not grown up in church, we've got people who've come from multitudes of various church backgrounds. It's been exciting to go to our base classes and to sit with people and hear how some have come from these various wonderful heritages from various denominational persuasions, and every one of them comes with a unique perspective of the body of Christ. Every one of them comes with a different idea about what the kingdom of God is about, and in a very real sense, there's this great huge mountain that we call the kingdom of God, and we are all, in a sense, climbing up a different side, and 
our, our, theolo- our theology many times is the description of the landscape that we see. And sometimes because a brother on the other side of the mountain tweets or blogs or writes a book about the landscape that he sees and we don't have that vantage point, we too many times rise up in a, t- in a place of criticism and, 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 and throw arrows of accusation against another brother who's not describing the same thing that we see and he can't because he's not in the same place that we is in. I don't know whether you uh, feel like it or not. I'm going to preach with the same vigor and the same energy at 9 o'clock that I am at 1045 this morning. So I want you to know I've come to have some church today. I haven't preached in a month, and I'm about to explode. I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about the the probability and the possibility of bringing all of these new converts and new disciples into a place of maturity and growth and not lose a sense of an appreciation for the whole body. Yes, we are a stream, but thank God we're emptying into something that's bigger than us. We are not the end result. There is a river that is bigger than us, and God's let us play a part on this team. Come on. It's a principle I want you to understand. Remaining true, and it's there in your notes if you would get it with me, say it out loud. Remaining true to the historical truths of the Christian faith is critical to our fulfillment of our kingdom purpose. Say it again with all your heart. Remaining true to the historical truths of the Christian faith is critical to our fulfillment of our kingdom purpose. Well, the question is, so what is truth? And how do you know that yours is? And I want to answer that question this morning as we start this series called I Believe. I I, I think that so many times that we are like five blind Hindus that are all standing around a great huge elephant and making an attempt to theologize about what they are experiencing. And one blind Hindu has a hold of the tail of the elephant and he's declaring, an elephant is like a rope. Another blind Hindu is squatted down and he's grabbing an elephant around one of the great huge legs and he's declaring that an elephant is like a post, it's like a column. There's a strength to it. There's a sturdiness to it. It can, it can be weight-bearing. And they're squabbling because the one holding the tail is bumping up against the one who's grabbing the leg. And they really can't see the whole picture. And another blind Hindu is there on the side and he's touching this massive wall. And he's describing the elephant to be like a wall. And the one standing next to him is rubbing him the wrong way because he's got a hold of this big flapping ear. And he says, an elephant is like a fan. And the one on the front is just sure that they're all wrong because he's got a hold of this trunk that's moving around. And he says, no, an elephant is like a snake. You're all wrong. And and, and in some degree, every one of them uh, had an element of truth, but their truth was limited because they couldn't see the whole picture. And every one of them went out and started his own denomination. The first church of the elephant is like a wall. The other one was just sure that he was wrong and he was a heretic. He labeled him a heretic. He called him, told him he was going to burn in hell because he started his first church of the elephant is like a rope. And every one of these guys were totally convinced that they were each right. And you know what? Every one of them is right. But it's the principle of limited experience. And this is what you and I do. If we only think we have the truth based on our own personal experience, I need to know the greatness of the God in your life and how he has revealed himself to you. Because I cannot be a composite 
or a container when it comes to experience of all that God is. Now, whether you say amen or not, I know I'm preaching real good right now. God don't let us be like five blind Hindus and we think that our understanding, our revelation, the little bit of information that we have is totally right and everybody else is wrong. God, help us to grow up as the body of Christ. We are limited in our own personal understanding. And ignorance many times, it's not a bad word, Greek word agnoio. We get our English word agnostic from it, ah. Against gnosis is the Greek word for, for knowledge. So when someone is agnostic, they just don't know. And guess what? Jesus died for people. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not. Jesus loves people who just don't know. And guess what? It's our responsibility as believers to demonstrate by example and to model to them not just a personal experience, but a love for truth that is found and housed in the word of God. Now, you know what? It's so easy sometimes to look at others who have a degree of intensity that may be a little bit more than ours, and we want to label people fanatics. And I just want to tell you, be careful with the use of that word, because if you go back to the original usage of fanatic, it literally meant temple dweller. It was somebody who loved God so much that they were wanting to get all of the presence of God they could, and they literally lived in the temple. I learned a long time ago that rather than throwing stones at somebody who might be a little bit over the edge, maybe a fanatic is actually somebody that just loves Jesus more than I do. Now, you know what? We've shortened that word fanatic today, and we get the word fan. And now, it's okay to go down to an 80,000-seat temple and pay $150 to watch a bunch of men in little tight pants run around, chase a little ball made out of pigskin, and scream your lungs off and pay 40 bucks for a hot dog and a beer. I'm sorry, Coca-Cola. It's okay to be one of those temple dwellers. You can be a fan. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't, I don't want fans, and neither am I called to bring more fans to Jesus. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. You can click like on the fan page of Jesus, but Jesus is not interested whether you fan him or not. He wants to know, will you follow him? We need to be informed by multiple trusted voices, not only across the current theological spectrum of interpretation, but we need to reach back to the past. We need to make sure that we are abiding in the historical vine of Christianity. And this morning, I want to reintroduce something to you. And if you've come from a Methodist or an Episcopalian or Presbyterian or one of the more mainline denominations, you've grown up saying what we're about to share together this morning in the Apostles' Creed. Now, if you've grown up in Southern Baptist or Pentecostal or some of maybe a Nazarene or a church like that, you've not been really used to this. And sometimes we've been afraid of creeds because we have the idea that we sort of frame it up and say that's all that there is to God. And you know what? I grew up in that kind of nonsense because I grew up a Pentecostal and I am not ashamed of my heritage. I'm very grateful for how I was raised and my trust in the supernatural God who still today does miracles. And I have never departed from that heritage. There's some things that I have moved beyond and grown out of, but I just want to tell you this morning that the creed that we're going to share just briefly this morning is not about boxing God up and saying There's all, that's all there is. We're saying this is the minimum. You've got to grab hold of at least this much to really be a Christian. So if you would, you can remain seated today. We're going to say this every Sunday this month. 
in this I Believe series, I'd like you to say this out loud with me, please. The Apostles' Creed. This has been said across the denominational spectrum now for close to 2,000 years in some form or another. Let's go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, let me just help you right now, because I just, I just felt it in the Spirit. The Holy what? The Holy Catholic. Oh, Pastor, now, I love you, man. It's been good, but if you're going to make us... If you're going to make us a bunch of Catholics, I'm out of here. Now, forgive me, but this is where ignorance comes in. Little c, look it up in your dictionary. If you've got a smartphone, hit Bing, Google it, do whatever you want to. Right now, little c means universal. When you have the word Roman in front of it and you have a capital C, then it's, that's when you're speaking about a particular denominational group of Christians. This is appreciated and valued across the whole denominational spectrum. We are Catholics, little c, in that we believe in the universal church of Jesus Christ that is red and yellow, black and white, it's rich and poor, it's educated and uneducated, it's Jew and Gentile. Come on, somebody. It is the universal body of Christ, both living and dead, those that are on the other side of the veil that are standing at the grandstands of heaven, looking over and cheering you on in the race in which you are now involved in running. Well, come on, give him praise. So therefore, we believe in the holy Catholic, little c, the holy universal. I was tempted to change that, and I thought, no, there's no sense in that. If this, if this raises up a little bit of Catholic prejudice, maybe that's going to help reveal to somebody that they need to deal with that. I mean, you know, Jesus loves all his children. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. In the end, he's going to cut the designer label out of your robe of righteousness anyhow. They're not going to be Baptists in heaven. They're not going to be Catholics in heaven. They're not going to be Presbyterians and Pentecostals in heaven. They're just going to be Christians in heaven. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not about any of that. It's not about a denominational affiliation. God, deliver us from that mentality of the five blind Hindus, of the first church of this or the community church of that. Now, I want you to understand there's some important questions. Why are we doing this series? What does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, is it okay if I just really believe anything I want to so long as I'm sincere? A lot of people say that. You know, it really doesn't matter what you believe just so long as you're sincere about it and you live it. You know what? Google this today, this afternoon when you go home and jump on your laptop, your desktop, whatever. And Google Flat Earth Society. It is a legitimate organization of which there are about 600 people that are a part of who actually still believe that the earth is flat. It's called the Flat Earth Society. Those people are sincere. They are sincerely wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? It is a fallacy. It is a ridiculous philosophical idea that you can believe anything you want to so long as you're sincere about it. You can believe two and two is five if you want to, but you're going to flunk your math test, baby. 
There is truth. There is standard. There is absolute. There is this difference between. There is a distinction. There is light and darkness. There is right and wrong. What does it mean to be a Christian? What about all the doctrinal denominational differences? Are there agreed upon standards? Important questions. I want to share with you this morning that this thing that we just read called the Apostles' Creed is the lowest common denominator of Christianity. Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who pastored Westminster Church in London for a number of years, called this the irreducible minimums of the faith. This is the least. We are by no means framing it up and putting it on the wall and going, God, I I dare you to bust out of this revelation that we have of you. Because let me tell you something, God will never stay in a box. It is not all there is. It is the least of which you have to embrace to be a Christian. These are things that we will not argue about at Victory. We talk about these elements that are in the Apostles' Creed. We're going to devote the next four weeks to this series. And some of you go, well, why? Why does all this matter? Why, why does doctrine matter? Let me tell you something. Doctrine is not a bad word. It's just an old English word for teaching. Now, if I say the word teaching all day, you automatically go, yeah, I like good teaching, especially when a pastor can get excited about it and give me a little bit of preaching in the middle of it. He can anchor me to a rock and get me and tell me what the solid truth that I'm building on. And then he can get me excited and help me shout a little bit about the realization of what I've just learned. So I want to teach you I want to preach a little bit and get you excited, inspire you, not only inform you, but inspire you about the greatness and the bigness of the God that we serve. It's important what we believe. Every one of you in this room is a theologian. Every one of you, by virtue of what theology means, theos, God, logos, the word of God, or literally in our English language today, anytime you see the suffix Ology or L-O-G-Y at the end of it, it literally means the study of. So theology is the study of God. Now, whether or not you've ever read a systematic book by any particular author, let me tell you something. Because of the fact that you have a view of God, some kind of view, either you are a theist and you believe in God or you are an atheist, an atheist. No God. That's still a view of God. You have a view, you have an understanding, you have a perception from which you move, and it's so critical because the issue is not whether or not you have a view of God, it's whether or not your view is correct. Because there's a Hindu version of God, there's an Islamic version of God, an angry God that sends people and anoints them to go to holy jihad and destruction and terrorism. And the craziest thing that is amazing me today is that there's actually this blend, this this blurring of the distinction, a whole new thing emerging called Chrislam that's an emergence of two totally philosophical dichotomies of of Islam and Christianity together. And I want to tell you the God of Christianity and the God of Islam are not the same God. Three things I want you to understand, let's embrace. In the essentials, these elements of which we spoke this morning, in the Apostles' Creed, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. In the essentials, unity. Everybody say unity. Essentials are areas that we will not argue about. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe that Jesus suffered and 
was crucified and dead and buried. On the third day, he rose again. These are essentials of the faith. We will have unity about these 12 very basic principles of Christianity. Now, I want you to realize that there's nothing said here about a lot of other different kinds of distinctives. There's nothing said about worship style. There's nothing said about end times and your view of the millennium. There's nothing in the creed about the role of women in the local church. There's nothing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the supernatural. There's nothing in the creed about whether lifestyle issues, whether you eat meat or whether you drink alcohol. There are none of those other kinds of issues. You want to know why? Because those are non-essentials to the faith. They will not make a difference in your salvation. So in the essentials, we have unity. We're going to embrace and believe these irreducible minimums, this lowest common denominator of truth. At the same time, because we are believers with different perspectives, in the non-essentials, we're going to allow for liberty. Everybody say liberty. That's critical. Because I want to tell you, even in this local church, we have differing opinions about the end times. And you know what? That's fine. Because I have friends who are pre-tribulation rapture guys, and I have friends that are post-millennialists and those that are amillennialists. And this morning, I'm not trying to impress you with a bunch of terms. I just want you to realize that this issue and what you believe about it is not going to make a difference in whether you're saved and make it to heaven or not. And some of these disgusting TV preachers who get on there and tell you who don't believe that like they do, that you're a heretic and you're going to hell, I just, I don't even have words because there's room for disagreement in that. You can love Jesus and not agree with somebody on some of these other non-essential areas. Come on, say amen. But the whole point is that in all things we show charity. Everybody say charity. So let's grab this real quick. In the essentials, unity. Say unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. Say liberty. And then finally, in all things, charity. Say charity. All right. I want to hit this as quickly as possible. This is the first statement in the Apostles' Creed. Say this with me. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I want you to understand this morning that the Bible starts out never with the mission of convincing you of the existence of God. Quote the first phrase of Genesis 1. In the beginning, what? God. The understanding that we have as believers and and as Christians, even here at Victory, The Bible is presuppositional. It presupposes that you have sense enough to look at the complexity of the design of creation all around you and recognize that this stuff did not just happen by chance. The probability of the earth that is sustainable for life And its ability to produce that is the same probability of a tornado going through a junkyard and on the end of it coming out and having a fully assembled, functional, working 747. (laughs) It is utter nonsense. And you know what? On the deepest level of the study of the human genome, there is a revival among scientists who have been atheists for years and more and more and more and more. Scientists are coming to the understanding that there is a creator God. Now, they may not embrace him in terms like we're saying, but they're talking about literally this this intelligent design concept of the fact that this thing didn't just happen. There is such a complexity just in the human eye alone. 
You take away any number of the multitude of thousands of elements that have to work just right, there's not the possibility of some primitive ability to see. It all has to work in its complex way that it functions for for you to be able to look out of your eyes and see what's going on and not be a blind Hindu. Come on, somebody. The Bible is presuppositional. He that comes to God, the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you say, I believe, that is your personal declaration in the God of history who revealed himself, not only as God the Father, but in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and who sent the Holy Spirit to energize and sustain and keep and preserve and guide and guard you. Five things I want to give, and I'm done this morning very quickly. I believe in God. Everybody say God. If God is God, then everything in the whole sphere of creation is underneath his government and his authority. There is nothing that is outside his prerogative and his right to speak into. If he made this thing, then guess what? He's got the handbook on how it works. He has the manual for living on how we're supposed to do this thing called life. There's a concept here, number one. Everybody say transcendence. Now, this, is, this series is a little bit more theological than we normally have, and that's important because I, I don't feel like I'm in a room full of seminarians, but I do want to introduce you to some terms because as believers, we do not need to be ignorant. We need to be informed. We need to be aware of what the Word says, what the Bible teaches. Transcendence. Basically, it's the God up there. He is above all. He is transcendent. He is God omni. Everything that describes God is in terms of ultimate. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere in the fullness of his presence all at the same time. He is omniscient. That means he knows all things. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is that we serve a God who is omni everything, but there's a devil out there who's not omni anything. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. God is transcendent. One of literally the indescribable attributes of God is when we describe God, he's love, he's light, he's righteous, he's kind, he's good, God is great, he's powerful. But before we describe any of those adjectives or any of those attributes of God, we first of all say God is holy. We sang it this morning. Great choice, Greg. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He's the only one in the Bible that's described in the sense of three times, thrice, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Theologians just defined the word holy. And so so many times we we think of this in terms of, of outward dress and behavior. And that is so far from what real, true biblical holiness is. Holiness literally means otherwiseness. In other words, God is something that we ain't. He is God and I am not. He is transcendent. Number two, I believe in God the Father. That's the amazing revelation that these guys who sat down to give us 12 principles in the Apostles' Creed is to show us that this transcendent God is not just the God way up there somewhere, the God of deism who basically creates it all and backs up and says, I'm not going to be involved. No, this God wants to reveal himself to you in relationship. Everybody say Father. I believe in God the Father, 
Almighty. Thirdly, Almighty. Everybody say Almighty. I want you to put there in that blank all sufficiency. When we think of the Almighty, it's not just a nice religious descriptive word, but Almighty literally means that God is all sufficient in Himself. He is self contained. There's nothing that God ever wants. God doesn't decide. I need something and not already have it because God is the fulfillment of all things. He is all-sufficient. He does not ever need anything. Fourthly, I'm going to be finishing in just a second. He is creator. Everybody say sovereignty. God is sovereign. He put this whole thing together. By divine fiat, he spoke and the worlds came into existence. He is in charge. God is sovereign. He's ruling in the affairs of men. Let me tell you something. Even though you may not like what's going on in the current state of the economy, God is not rattled about it. God is not wringing his hands on the edge of his throne going, oh my goodness, the wrong guy got in the White House. Are y'all hearing me today? No, this is a God who is so big who doesn't need anything outside of himself, the God who is transcendent and holy, but who wants to reveal himself to you as Father. He's also the God who put this whole thing together, and he's the God who, who causes all of it to work together according to his own will. The Scripture says in the book of Proverbs that he even created the wicked for the day of evil. Everything has a purpose. When you get a picture of this God, you begin to recognize that your life has purpose. Because God didn't make you and go, oops. Are you hearing that? God made you distinct and unique. And he made you for a specific reason. And that is to bring him glory. Come on, somebody. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Finally, one more thing, and I'm bringing this message to a close. The Bible says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This God that we serve, that we sang about this morning, that we're going to end this service in just a moment, singing glory to God, glory to God in the highest. This God of which we sing and declare today, I want you to understand this God who made the heavens and made the earth is the self-revealing God. He pulls back the veil and he fully discloses himself to his creation. The Bible says even somebody who has never ever heard the name of Jesus can look at the sun in the sky when it rises and the beauty of creation and the trees of the field and the fish of the sea. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows forth his handiwork. It is the element of a divine creator who loved you so much that he made every bit of this and then he set you down up in the middle of it. What Adam failed to realize is that in the perfect environment that he was in, that anything that he would ever need, God had already provided for him. Let me bring a little of this home this morning. We've got to remain true to the historical truths of the Christian faith. We've got to Believe in a God in the middle of a day when there are challenges on a regular basis. Books being written. Our students in school are being challenged on a regular basis. You go to college and if you can make it through your second year, your sophomore year in a university anywhere, in a liberal education, in a state-sponsored school, if you can make it through your second year and come through still believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, 
believing in a God who created heaven and earth, then you can come through on the other side with a stronger faith than you've ever had before because our educational system is literally geared to trying to tear every one of those blocks out of your theological foundation. Some of you this morning had a little difficulty thinking in terms of God being a father that loved you because you didn't have a good situation with your own dad growing up. Some of you in here had a great one, and you can readily make that connection to this amazing, transcendent, holy God that is other than me, that's different than me, that, that's powerful enough to create me, that's strong enough to sustain me in the difficulty, and at the same time loves me compassionately like a father to know that the struggle that I have is one that he can also deliver me from. And I want you to hear this morning that that God loves you so much that he's provided for in his son. He's revealed himself not just in creation, not just in the sense of general revelation out here because that we can see that this amazing provision that we have, it didn't just happen. The problem that you face right now, if you can get a good perspective of Adam in the garden, did you know that's immediately surrounding you in your life, in your network of friends, is in the stuff that you have and the skills that God has given and the tools and the current resources that are about you that you have. Literally, there are the seeds there to provide for you and everything that you're ever going to need. You just got to look around. There's some trees all around you that God wants to give you some fruit to eat off of. Are you hearing me this morning? Sometimes it's not until you embrace a problem and you spend enough time to crack that thing open that you realize in the middle of every problem there are the seeds to answer it. Are you hearing me this morning? It's when you begin to cry out to this God who made all of this and you go, God, I desperately need you, that he opens your eyes and helps you get a fresh perspective and you see something differently than you ever saw before. It's amazing how the God who is able to create the world can also come on the scene and answer every need that you have. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Listen as I bring this message to its final. The Bible says, For thus says the, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, who inhabits eternity, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. The God of which I speak, of which we declared today with people across the whole body, different streams, different denominational perspectives, many of them every Sunday stand and recite what I had you share, say for just a moment this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. When you do that, notice it doesn't say, the creed doesn't say, we believe. It's not about joining yourself with a group and that group speaking for you. You know what? You may have grown up in a family where your dad knew Jesus and your mom knew Jesus. And because you're in a family that believed, you, you, you think you can say, we believe. But there comes a time in every person's life where you have to make the decision. It's not just because mom and dad believe, but you have to personally, privately, individually say, not we believe, but you have to say, I believe. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This morning, I want you to know that that same God who is high and holy came down in his son, Jesus Christ to reveal to man 
in a special revelation, in a gospel message that was given that said, I loved you so much in spite of all of the stuff and the junk that you have. I took it upon myself at the cross. How much does God love you? This much. And he stretched out his hands and he was nailed to the cross. And the Bible says, him who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. And it begins, the door is opened just by the declaration of what we said this morning. I believe. Without faith, it's impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all you have to do right there. All the ducks don't have to be in the row. Everything doesn't have to be lined up. Let me tell you something. You cannot get it all lined up until you put it in his hands to line it up for you. Paul goes on in Romans 10 and he says, For with the heart man believes and grasps and takes hold of righteousness. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You believe it in here and then you speak it out of here. You say, I believe. This morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you today, have you said those critically important words out of your mouth? God, I know you're real. I don't know all there is to know about you, but I know you love me and I want to know you. Save me. I believe. Make yourself known to me, Father. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Take this mess of my life and turn me around and change me. I believe. It's not about saying all of those words that I said. It's just about putting those words out of your heart into your mouth and saying, God, I put my trust in you. I believe. I'm going to pray a prayer in just about 10 seconds. And I just want to ask you right now, if you'd like to be included in that prayer, if you, if you are saying today for the first time, Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord, take my life, change me, pour your Holy Spirit out upon me. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. If you just want to be included in that prayer, would you just right where you are with every head bowed and eye closed, would you just slip your hand up in the room? Are there anybody, is anyone this morning? Praise God. Just want to ask you today then, those that are believers here today, if there's anything in this message that has spoken to you in the sense of saying, hey, I, there's so much to this magnificent God that I serve and I want to know him more. I, I, I want to dedicate my life to getting into the word and I want to seek his face and I, I believe there's so much more that he has for me than what I've ever realized. If, if you've sensed that drawing of the spirit this morning today and you just want to say, God, man, dump it out on me. Give me more. I, I want to know you. Would you just slip your hand up today? Several in the room. I just thank you right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you for each of these and what you're doing and moving and working in our church. Thank you that you've called us to be the people of God. That Christ literally would be demonstrated to the world through us. Lord, we thank you that it's not just about knowledge of a principle. 
but it's about a living relationship with a person, and his name is Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and anoint us today. Fill us afresh, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said,